I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Happy Monday, everybody. It's December 7th. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you. Happy to talk 2020 tennis today. we got a special edition of the podcast. We're going to break down the year that was in tennis. Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now's editor, will be joining us momentarily. We spoke on Friday on the telly. For about an hour, breaking down the awards, most improved, player of the year, and a couple of our own categories, which you guys will find out about shortly. In the meantime, we enjoy December. It's the month without tennis. We're all chilling out and waiting for what happens next. Only problem is, we're not really sure what's going to happen next. We don't know when the Australian Open is going to start at the moment. And we're starting to hear that Indian Wells may indeed be canceled for the second consecutive year due to coronavirus concerns. So the start of 2021, at least, is looking like a lot like the middle of 2020 in tennis terms. It's going to be a rough year. We just have to buckle in and hope for the best. And as we learned in 2020, even through all the difficulties, we were able to have lots of great tennis, lots of great moments. And that's why I'm pleased that Richard Pagliaro came to join me so we could run through some of those special moments from the 2020 season. So, without any further ado, let's get right to interview. See you guys on the other side. All right, Richard, let's... um Let's welcome Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now's editor, back into the house. And we're going to talk about the 2020 tennis season and, more specifically, the awards for the top players. What's going on, Richard? It's great to be back, Chris. I'm in the holiday spirit, and uh, I'm excited to talk awards. <laughs> it's great to have you. Um, we, we, we can talk a little bit about the Mets if you want at any time during this podcast. I just want to put that out there. Um, but, you know, if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine also. We've experienced enough natural disasters in 2020. <laughs> I think we can set that aside. Look forward to better, better and brighter things in 2021. I think we could all agree on that. Yeah, for sure. Let's hope. Um, well, we did this last year. We went over the, you know, the awards, just like the tours have sent out their, their little um, press releases. You know, things like Player of the Year, Most Improved, Comeback Player of the Year. We're not going to talk about every single award that the tours have sent us, but we're going to start with the big ones, and we're going to make up a few of our own. And why don't we kick it off by going WTA Player of the Year? I believe um, nominated is uh, Victoria Azarenka, Simona Halep, Sophia Kennan. Naomi Osaka, Irina Sabalenka, or did I just put her in there? I can't, I'm not even sure, but I think she's on the ballot, and Iga Sviantec. Um, do you have thoughts on the WTA Player of the Year, Richard? 
Well, yeah, I got a lot of thoughts. First, I think it's a you know fantastically talented crew, and especially you look at someone like Sabalenka, who really caught fire at the end of the year. It's a shame that the Asian swing, understandably, was canceled. But someone like that, you would like to have seen where she could have taken her tennis on that kind of role. But for me, it's I, I think uh, Sophia Kennan's a clear player of the year. Although, you know, you can make a case if Halep had won a major, she'd be there. But Kennan to win Australia in the in the way that she won it. And then to come back from that soul-shattering Rome loss to Vika, bounce right back and win and get to the Roland Garros final and you know and lose to e, to a red-hot Eagle, I think I think you got to give it to her. Two different surfaces, uh, just the feistiness, the grit, the spirit match to match. And to me, that's a big thing when you can take a, a real thrashing like that that could really uh, shatter your confidence and come right back and and get to a major final. That, that was huge. Yeah, she had a great year. And she made her top 10 debut this year, which, I mean, she really wasn't a household name by any stretch of the imagination until the Australian Open. And now she's on our radar. I mean, I mean by getting back to that final at Roland Garros, she proved really what kind of tough competitor she is and that she may indeed be um, be a factor in the final weekend of Grand Slams moving forward, which I think is pretty awesome for fans of women's tennis and for She's a unique character, just overall, her feistiness I love. Um, but, you know, Naomi Osaka, Simona Halep, Iga Sviontek, all worthy this season. Uh, we'll start with Halep. She was 23-3, and 13-1 on clay, three titles, one of just two players to manage that feat, but didn't win a slam. Osaka did win a slam, 16-3 and three overall, 9-1 and one in three setters, but didn't play at all on the clay. And, of course, Fiontech just broke through and just made massive history at Roland Garros. Um, not much to speak of the rest of her season, though. So, I mean, great efforts by all three, but probably don't match up to what Kennan did. Yeah, I think you said it well there. And I, I would look at it in this way that you could say, you know, Osaka was the dominant hardcore player with the New York win, also Western and Southern Open final, the walkover she conceded. And you could say Ego was the dominant, you know, Roland Garros, obviously the champion, and and that Kennan straddled both both uh, surfaces to be able to make her mark both ways. Because you know, it also you have to say for on, on Vika's behalf, it looks her run, the you know the Western Open, Southern run, and then the run to the U.S. Open final, where she's within a few games of winning the U.S. Open. It looks a lot better when you look at she knocked off Ego. And Serena en route to that final, so yeah. you got to you got to up for. I think Vika deserves a lot of respect too. But ultimately, you know, to to win a major and then to get to a major final on a different surface, sort of bookend the season with your best tennis. You, I think you got to give it to Kennan. And another thing, as you alluded to, I mean, this is someone who's overshadowed not only in terms of other players, but even within her own country. You would talk about Serena, Coco. We would talk about Sloan, Madison. Jennifer Brady even was getting, you know, got red hot as well. So she gets overshadowed even here, yeah. and for, and I think she, I think that fuels her, and, she, and it really fuels her fire and gets her fired up to show everybody, you know, I'm here, I'm for real. Yeah, imagine if she had won, if she had won that second major, that would just be unbelievable. But um, yeah, incredible. But still, it's a tremendous season, tremendous season, and and like you said, her fighting spirit is great to see. She's gonna be so happy. I think if she wins, she does end up winning this award. Um, just a, a young player who just appreciates be, being a part of the sport and, and 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 all the strides that she's made. I think it's uh, there's going to be an ear to ear smile on her face until she takes the court again in 2021. That's going to be nice to see. 
Yeah, it will be. It'll be great to see how she comes back in Australia. You know, eventually what we're see- or what we're hearing is Australia is going to be delayed, but eventually to see how she how she defends there as well, and also to see Bart, you know Barty come back, and if they would have a rematch, that would be exciting to see. Ash Barty, yeah, finishes number one. Didn't play a whole lot though, but let's move on. ATP Player of the Year. They don't really do that award; they just wrap it up in the, the year end number one. And I think this year it makes sense that it would be Novak Djokovic. A lot of good, a lot of good tennis played by Rafa, Dominic Team, and a lot of other players. But Novak's the man, despite even even with some of the strange stuff that happened to him this year. I mean, you look at what he's been able to do across the board. I mean, we were thinking about him running the table for a while before what happened at the U.S. Open. Yeah, absolutely. He did it in all categories. He made his mark as a champion, you know, as a as a controversy maker with the whole COVID, with the Adria too. He did it across the board at every level in every category. <laughs> and like I said, he had that unbeaten run where he looked like this guy was just unstoppable and he was not going to lose. And then the whole, you know, debacle in New York, although give him credit, he bounced back from that in Rome. And then uh, as we talked about last time, I felt like he really fell in love with the drop shot in Paris, although I don't think that would have changed the outcome because Rafa was rampaging in that match. But still, you have to go with him the six six years as year-end number one to tie his idol Pete Sampras, you know, that's historic, and that's something that you, you really have to treasure if you're Novak Djokovic or Novak Djokovic. You're just a fan of tennis history. Yeah. Definitely definitely a great moment for him, and let's see what he does in Australia. That's traditionally his best slam, and he's got a lot to play for, a lot of history ahead, including the year, you know, most weeks at year-end number one. That's driving him, and he's going to get that next spring, so... There's a lot of a lot of good ahead for him. Yeah, and there was a lot of good in 2020. But but it, more in, a more interesting debate and maybe a more difficult one to choose when it comes to the ATP is the most improved player. They've given us four candidates: Hugo Humbert, Andre Rublev, Diego Schwartzman, and Yannick Sinner. They're all kind of different in terms of their their progress and where they are at in their careers age-wise and everything so for me i found it difficult to kind of compare and contrast and to come up with one but i did how about you yeah i did and that's a good point that you just made i didn't think of it that way but that's true and because how do you know because they were all at different stages entering the season and all they all had different flash points throughout the season yeah. i mean i think if you're going on terms of accomplishment you got to go with rublev the guy won an atp best five titles i think he had 40 or 41 wins got to the year-end championships i think you got to go with him although he had he started a higher place than someone like center to me center is a great great story and a guy at potential future top five players so i put him right there you know what about diego what he did bouncing back from new york where it, that was an agonizing absolutely agonizing loss and to come back to beat rafa in rome and then to fight his way past another major winner all the way through to the uh french open semis you got to give it up for him too i guess i would have to go with uh, Rublev, but you make an excellent point. They're all at different stages. It's kind of a tricky comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree with you. I go with Rublev. I think he deserves uh, year-end recognition more than the other guys. If you know, if he, if he's if he's not going to get this and he's not going to get any, any other award, I think it would be a little bit of a shame. He went from twenty-three year-end last year to eight now, 
And yeah, he, he yeah. really has made, I mean, you're talking about improvements. He he just improved in so many different ways. I mean, all of a sudden, this guy's a world-class server banging serves down at 130 and, and like, going through whole indoor tournaments without dropping serve. He's become a better player, like, um, in terms of just understanding the ins and outs and the nuances of, of rallies. Of course, he's always been a great hitter of the ball, but now he seems to be a little bit more comfortable going a little bit longer in rallies and, and keeping the edge and gaining the edge. And and mentally, he's just been – the strides he's made have just been amazing. I mean, he's been after that type of progress his whole career. He's always made no mistake about the fact that he idolizes Rafael Nadal and his, the way he competes, and he's really taking after Nadal. And I think it was just amazing to see him put it all together. Didn't really happen – fully at the slams but he did get i think two quarterfinals he's got the five titles yeah it's amazing but then you look at the other guys and i just think they're all worth a mention yannick sinner went from 78 to 37 this year and proven he's basically proven that he's a guy that's headed like much higher and uh, he's still a teenager it's it's ridiculous and umber is really kind of the guy that will probably get the least votes in this one but he really did make tremendous strides winning two titles and the more I watch him, the more I realize, man, he's going to be such a disruptive force in the game. And then, of course, Diego Schwartzman, the oldest in this group, in this quartet, is just a great story. And you just have to be so thrilled for him that he was able to do what he did with his first couple top five wins. The one over Nadal in Rome, the one then um, over team at Roland Garros, which meant so much to him. And then reaching the um, year-end finals in London. What a massive year for him. So all four of these guys worthy, and it's fun to even debate which one had a better year. But, yep, I'm going with Rublev just like you. Yeah, i got to go with Rublev. And also on Diego, also great to see that he was nominated in the Sportsmanship Award, the Stefan Edberg Award category, yes. because the players really, really respect him. And he's great with the media, too. He's great with fans. If you see him, he's just great for the game. He's just like someone you want to hang out with, you know, and he just had a phenomenal year. And to me, Rublev, everything you said about him is spot on. And also that just his work ethic that he's really despite all the injuries and he's had some real physical setbacks and you look at him he's not as you know, as strong as these other guys he's a little bit slighter but he's really really worked to get back to this level and he welcomed the challenge and he's fun to watch because he goes after the ball as you said he's a beautiful ball striker that's never been the, the issue the thing is just the consistency and trying to rein in the power a little bit and I think he's done that well and also like you said, the serve has been a big thing. If you look at the serving categories where he shot up, and the last thing I would mention is the players themselves. You know, traditionally when you talk to the top players, they always say the toughest leap is from like the top 25 into the top 10 because the ladder gets so much more slippery and strenuous near the top. So yeah, to go time. from 23 to eight, that's a really, really good jump for him, and the best is yet to come. Yeah. Very good points there, Richard. Um, and the WTA made some improvements as well. Their uh, candidates for that award are Jennifer Brady, Fiona Farrow, Owens Jabour, Elena Rybakina, or Iga Sviontek. Uh, pretty interesting and diverse um, group of players there as well, Richard. Any thoughts on who might be the actual most improved winner? I think you gotta go with Egas. You want to slam. I mean, yeah. I mean, but although Brady, you know, great performance in New York, where she was, you know, right there on the semi. You know, Brady showed a lot, but I think you gotta. I mean, she won a slam, and she dominated a slam. You know, her tennis hero is Rafa. She played Rafa like tennis. She came out and you know just rocked the forehand. 
commanded the center of the court, just took it to everybody, took down Grand Slam champions, and was really incredibly calm and professional about doing it. Super impressive performance from her. I mean, the question going forward is how is it going to translate to the other surfaces? But, yeah, she mm-hmm. she really showed the world what she can do. Yeah, Sviantec, I mean, you could look at her improvement just in the way she did against Simona Halep at Roland Garros. She was absolutely blasted off the court against yeah. Halep in the round of 16 in 2019, and she did the same right back at Simona, proving just how much of an improved player she was. But I think this award suits her really well because um, well-documented are were her struggles in the U.S. series, this on the hard courts, because she had entered with really high expectations that she had placed on herself because she and her team believed that there was great opportunity this season. A lot of top players chose not to make the trip to, to New York for the Western and Southern Open and the U.S. Open. She felt like she could do some damage there. And then for a teenager, those were pretty high hopes and pretty high expectations. She said it affected her in New York, and she had to kind of like go back to stage one and talk to her team about it and figure out a way to get around uh, dealing with expectations better. So her strides were on the court clearly, but also mentally and how well she handled the pressure of what she was able to do at Roland Garros. And a perfect example of that would be after her victory over Halep, when all the spotlights on her, how she was able to take out two qualifiers. I think it was qualifiers back-to-back in the quarters and semis and just continue to dominate that draw, dropping, I think, 28 games in that tournament to become the youngest champion at Roland Garros on the women's side since 1992. That feat in and of itself, as you mentioned, puts her on top of the rest of this field. Um, Just You have to give her some recognition. She finishes the season at 17, but it feels like she's a top-10 player already, so it's pretty cool. But you got to say, Jennifer Brady, awesome season. Lost 24 games in winning the Lexington title, and then what she did in New York was amazing. Owens Jabour was yeah, an inspiration. Yeah, that was really impressive, and she played some big-time players. And she's another player that's exciting because she can dictate the point from the first strike with the serve and one of the biggest forehands in the game. So I think those are two elements that she shares with Iga, even though they did it on two different surfaces. They can both dominate with the forehand, and their forehands are, you know, I mean, male-level four. I mean, they hit the they hit the ball really big. Yep. Yes, and and as I was mentioning, Jabour was an inspiration, becoming the first Arab woman to reach the quarterfinals at the Australian Open, and really made it a she, she made it her stated goal to reach the top twenty. Didn't quite get there, but I think the only reason she didn't get there is because there wasn't much tennis to be played this year, so that slowed her down a bit. But her Rybakina also, and Fiona Farrell, who won a title with a broken rib, which is never a bad thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, we're all very solid, but but Iga's, Iga's the one for the for this category, we think. But um, yeah, good points on Brady. I think she might even be potentially become the most improved next year, the way things are going for her. Yeah, and that she totally you know redefined her approach to the game. Moving to Germany, she resculpted her body. She really went all in, and it paid off. I mean, she really changed everything about how she trained, how she approached the game, and it really brought out the best in her. You think she has a big upside now, Richard? Do you think she's a top 10 player? you think she's a slam winner? Uh, I don't know if she's a slam winner, but I think she's a top 15 player. It's it's hard to say because if you have health, a healthy Osaka, if you have a healthy Andrescu, if you have some of these players, there's so many, so many spots in the top 10, you know, so it's... I don't like to say top 10, but I think she's a top 15 player for sure. I mean, she was within a match of the U.S. Open final, you know? Yeah. Very close to taking out Osaka in that match. Um yeah, a lot of great tennis from her this this season. Yeah, um, she 
was fun. And she's fun to watch because she plays it on her terms where she really can control a match when she's on. I mean, you go back to what she did in Australia at the start of the year, she came out with some big wins too. Yeah, yeah. She's a, she's a good one. I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on yeah. her for, for the next few years. Yeah. I think she could be up there in the top ten based on the way she plays the game on the hard court. Gosh, very impressive. But let's move on to the Stefan Edberg Sportsmanship Award. And I'm just, I always get a chuckle out of this because it's been since 2004, and that's 16 years now in in succession that we've either had Federer or Nadal win this award. It's mostly been Federer's award. Nadal has snuck in there in the last two years and also in 2010. Does anybody else have a chance to win this freaking thing? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I think it's going to be rough again. I think, I would think... <laughs> You, I mean, I would think he's a good sportsman. I'll give him that. <laughs> he is he's a great sportsman. I actually feel that Rafa. Um, here's what the award says: It's the player who, throughout the year, conducted himself at the highest level of professionalism and integrity, who competed with his fellow players with the utmost spirit of fairness, and who promoted the game through his off-court activities. Um, sounds like perfect for Rafa, right there. I mean, the way he competes, I feel like. Maybe he's the guy who should have gotten this award 10, 11 times, and Federer should have gotten it three times. Uh, but I don't know if Federer competes pretty well as well. But the other three guys we should mention, you mentioned Diego Schwartzman. Um, John Millman's in this up for this category, and Dominic Team. They all had in, interesting to see Millman in there. Yeah, well, Millman's no, he's like the Aussie traditional, you know, play hard, don't make any excuses, no BS, and look in the eye and congratulate you if you win. You're too good, and, and if I win, you know, credit you. I think the thing about Rafa that was really stood out this year is just the way he approached COVID, really, really yeah. seriously shutting down his academy, putting his whole academy in lockdown. He took some criticism that he didn't come to the Open, but he didn't feel safe. you got to give the guy credit, and he wanted to train for Roland Garros, so I thought he would, and he was always preach caution. If you looked at his social media, he was wearing a mask all the time. I mean, I thought, it, you know, in contrast, and I don't mean that as a slight to some of these other guys that played Adria Tour because they had their reasons. A lot of it was about fundraising and they were trying to be charitable, but he did the right thing at a crisis moment, and I think that represents a sport well where your ambassador, one of your iconic, legendary players, set a really good example and try to do the right thing. Mm, that's very well said, Richard Pagliaro. That's why I like having you on this sh- this podcast. That needed to be said. That's important stuff from Rafa, and I think a lot of people took notice of it, and it's definitely great that you made mention of it here. Um, I got a question for you. Um, the last part of this award is the, the player who promotes the game through his off-court activities. Who do you think does a better job for this of this and throughout their course of their career, Rafa or Roger? Promotes the game through off court activities. Uh, wow, that's a really <laughs> put me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> it's like saying who's a better for Sir Evo or isn't it? You know, yeah, it's right. really on one day. It's really hard. I think what I like about both of them is that early on in their careers, they both established the foundations. Yeah. And so they've really tried to help people that really need help, you know, that need educational help, 
sport beyond sport, but just need life help. And so I think that's that's admirable. That's why I wouldn't want to parse either one of them because they both recognized at a really, really young age when it's hard to be mature and hard to have a world vision that, hey, I have this platform, this unique ability where I talk, the world's going to listen to me, they're going to put it on news broadcasts all over the world, so let me take this platform and try to try to do something good and try to help kids who, mm. are, who don't have the for, good fortune that I had. So I like that about mm-hmm. it. I know it sounds corny and all that, but yeah. I really believe they try to help to try to help people. No, they've done a tremendous job for the sport in in terms of recognition as well. I think if you ask anybody anywhere that's a sports fan, they'll know who Rafa and Roger are, and they might not know any anybody else they probably don't know back to but serena but yeah one more thing just on a personal thing i always tell people when they say well what's it like what's it like? i can tell you anytime i've seen been around nadal at any tournament he's one of the greatest in terms of signing autographs taking pictures like he'll stand there and he'll just do autograph you know now it's going to be obviously different post-covid but i mean i've been there like in miami where he's had bad losses and he'll still do the selfies do the autograph and that's priceless when mm-hmm. you're when your champion is willing to, you know, be really promoted with the fans on a personal level, like that's that's just priceless. Yeah, that's good parenting right there. I think. Right. Right. Yeah, he got some good parenting. I, I like the Nadal family a lot. I think they came. Right. Through. Well, he's also humble enough, and he's genuine enough to realize, like, look, you the, these people are they're the reason why are why I can make the money I make, why I can live the life I can live, and it's important to recognize that. And you know, he, that's why he does every speech. It's the same. You know, thank the fans, the ball kids, and all that. It's just trying to give back, mm-hmm. yeah, no, gra- showing gratitude, showing gratitude. I guess. Yeah, and a lot of people tend to to lose that. They get the clouded vision. They sort of t- see themselves as bigger than anything else and forget about it. But all right, we're moving on to a trickier topic, and um, but some some names that need some recognition. We're talking about Coach of the Year. The ATP has listed five candidates: Jill Servara, who's Daniel Medvedev's coach, won it last year, by the way. Juan Ignacio Chela, who coached Diego Schwartzman, Nicholas Massu, Dominic Team's coach, Ricardo Piada, who works with Yannick Sinner, and Fernando Vicente, who's done such a great job with Andre Rublev. For me, this is tough to really pick apart because I don't really have a great feel for the impact that some of these guys have had on their players. Like, for instance, I'll be honest, I don't know much about Chela as a coach and what he's done with Diego. I mean, you can look at the ranking, you can look at Diego's performance and say a lot about it. I just want to go. I just want to give Nicholas Matsu some recognition here, and and because of what he's been able to do with Dominic Team and how he's, I believe how he's helped him play better on faster surfaces, which is probably to me the most impressive thing about Team, and that's why I would lean on picking Matsu for this award. What, what say you, Richard? Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I think uh, Fernando Vicente, you've got to give him a lot of uh, credit because of what Rublev did leading the Tour of Five titles. Also, just the fact that he's there every match is a physical force. He's prepared. He's ready to go. But I think you've got to go with Masu, especially look. you look at team at the beginning of the year with Mooster also in the box mm-hmm. and how that whole thing blew up and how that could have got weird and sketchy, shady, all that. And he, they just got right back to winning. And I think with Masu, you've seen him employ the skills, the transition, coming in more, especially in terms of using the slice backhand more, which is what Masu himself did as a player when he won two Olympic gold medals. He used the slice backhand to set up the forehand, and his team's forehand is so heavy and so big, so he's given you that 
that contrast. And, uh, yeah, I think you have to go with Masu because of the result, because he almost won two slams in one year. I mean, you could make a case that he, that he could have won both. He was up on Djokovic. He played great, and he finished – you know, he finished strong, too. Mm-hmm. And, and he up. played a lot of tennis. I mean, he played a lot of exos, too. Who, Dominic so Team? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Surprise. No, I, I got to yeah. say that um, I'm happy that there is a Coach of the Year award because we didn't have it until 2016. Magnus Norman took the first one. And then, right, um, after, yeah, he's a great coach, Magnus Norman, yeah. After that, it was Neville Godwin who worked with Kevin Anderson in 2017, then Marion Vida. Nice to see him get that award and well-deserved. And then Servara last year. So... It's cool that the coaches are getting recognized, and we need more of that in this sport. And I think you mentioned Vicente. He's been – he's really got a strong bond with Andre Rublev. Those guys really get along and have this, like, really intense relationship, and they're growing together. I think that one's – I mean, he's definitely up there on my list. And then Servara and Medvedev, those guys as well have been there together for so long, and and, and – it's just nice to see that they're 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 more than just coaches. They're like they're like life tutors for these guys, for these young guys, and that's really nice to see. And then I I must think that Piotti is having a huge impact on Yannick Sinner, though. That's another one. Like Chela, I don't know as much about the nuts and bolts of their relationship, but I mean he's got a really important job right now, and he's clearly doing it well. So it's nice to get the recon- see these guys getting the recognition. WTA has only three candidates for this award: Michael Gesserer who did so much great work with Jennifer Brady, Piotr Sespitowski, who coached Igor Sviontek, and Wim Fizet, who coached Naomi Osaka this year. Any thoughts on those three? Well, I'm wondering why Alexander Kennan isn't in the category just for that move he pulled at the French Open when he went down <laughs> the fairway, when he went and sat next to her coach and totally, you know, pulled the uh, total mental... <laughs> I thought that was a brilliant move for him, so I'm surprised he wasn't in there. Um... Yeah, it's tough to say because, I, to be honest, with COVID, you're not at the turn, so I don't see the practices up close, so it's hard to say. But, um, God, Brady really, she totally, she was like a different player after when she came right out of the box. And then, you know, Wim facetti has been successful with a lot of different players, and certainly what Osaka did in New York was impressive amid all the pressure and everything that was on her. But, you know, as you said earlier, she didn't play the clay, so it's kind of an incomplete um, incomplete mark and Iga is a great it's a great run I don't have a strong feeling either way because I just didn't see enough of the sort of off court uh, you know building when you see them on court when you see them in practice and how they work together I didn't see enough of that so I don't have a strong I don't have a strong choice either way although Kenan's father I mean I thought you got to give the guy credit he's there all the time yeah, for sure. These three aren't the only three that deserve recognition. I really like Piotr Sensopatowski. Um, I got to speak with him a couple times this year, and just he really has this kind of um, young and um, active energy about him. He really seems to understand Fiontech really well. He has her working towards goals. He has her in a positive mindset. They're obviously able to work through the challenges that they ran into in the hard court season. Um, I think he's patient also. I don't think that along with um, her sports psychologist, her name is Daria Abramowitz, I think they're kind of into like not rushing, not rocking the boat and just letting Iga be Iga. So a lot of respect for what they've 
thought I would think that he might be my pick, but again, it's a close call because I think Gesserer and Jennifer Brady have really done some amazing stuff because Brady's had her share of struggles, self-belief, these kind of things, and he's helped her overcome that. So yeah, a lot of good, a lot of good stories. And again, always nice to see the coaches get some recognition. And you're right. I don't know why Alexander Kennan wouldn't be in there. It's like people seem to take for granted when it's apparent, sort of like, oh, you know, like, we, you don't hear enough talk about Richard Williams as a coach either sometimes, maybe because the – Yeah, you're just... sure. Yeah, I would say the last pair. I remember, um, you know, Hingis's mom, she used to get – and well-deserved credit because because of how she constructed her game, but she was one of the last that you really – sometimes now the parents are seen as more intrusive figures. Yeah, it's a little bit unfair, which I, guess I think. True, you know, which can be true as well. Yeah, for sure. Okay, comeback player of the year. I think for me, this is just a chance to recognize Victoria Azarenka for a truly remarkable and inspiring season. The other candidates we should mention, Svetlana Perankova, who was awesome at the U.S. Open, Laura Sigmund yeah. of Germany, and Patricia Maria Teague of Romania. I think. Yeah, they were all all really really cool stories. And Laura, you know, they won the uh, they won the doubles. I mean, that was a really cool story to see both of them in that stage of the career win the doubles. But you got to go with Vika here to me. I mean, she loses in Lexington to Venus in straight sets, and everyone's like, "Geez, what's wrong with Vika? You know, is she uh, is she slipping on the downside?" And then she comes back to win Western and Southern, and then come within a few games of the U.S. Open final uh winning the u.s open title and then to bounce back and do what she did in rome as well she had a good roman in her last tournament of the year she got to the final of that tournament so i think you gotta go with her and also not to mention all the off-court stuff that she struggled with the custody battles and all that that stuff that can really drain you emotionally and mentally and just feel like their days it's all too much stuff like that but she never never let it get it get her down and, and always believed and it was a beautiful thing to see how she responded. I loved what she did this year, both on the court and off the court. A big source of inspiration for me personally in the press room, just the wisdom that she has and the way that she sort of talks through her career and her life. And uh, she's a thoughtful, articulate woman who I just I just totally admire. But, I mean, the proof's in the pudding. First Grand Slam final appearance since 2013. A lot of us thought it would never happen again, and it did. So that's pretty awesome. Um WTA Newcomer of the Year lists four candidates, Leila Fernandez of Canada and Lee of the United States, Nadia Podoroska, who I think many of us were not very familiar with before Roland Garros, and another player, Martina Trevisan of Italy, who many of us didn't know before Roland Garros. Interesting crew of women there. Yeah, they are interesting. And, you know, like you said with Podoroska, I had not seen a lot of her before Paris, but boy, what a run she had. And also Travis on to come through qualities and beat the players she beat and play with that lefty forehand and just play with so much passion. And then she really opened up about her struggles with eating disorders yeah. and how it really set her back. And at her age, to have that come back, I mean, not that 27 is old by any means, but to go through all she went through and then to come back and put together that kind of run, it was really exciting to see. And I, I guess of the group, I really like Layla Fernandez's game the most. I think she has a huge upside, although she's not physically that big. I think they list her at 5'4". She has great hands. She could take the ball on the rise. And uh, she gets up for playing the big players, and she I feel like she's the most creative of that group. So I really, I'm excited about seeing her develop. And I think it's always interesting in tennis when you have a lefty who can do things like she can do, like bend the ball, create those sort of side spin 
angles like when you had Patty Schneider or the men's side, Marcelo Rios. It's always interesting just from a rally perspective to have someone who can do the things she can do with the ball. So I'm really excited to see her develop. Yeah, smart, cerebral player who holds herself to a high standards. <laughs> Was not happy with losing to Petra Kvitova at Roland Garros, which right. says something about where, where this young player is in her mind. So, yeah, definitely a promising player. I don't know if Trevisan is going to be a flash in the pan or if we're going to see more of her. I sure hope we do. She's a fun fun person to watch. Fun oh, player. so much fun to watch. I have a feeling it'll be, you'll see her more in clay tournaments. I don't know if it's going to translate to the faster courts. I hope I'm wrong about that. But, yeah. I mean, she is so much fun to watch. She gets you so pumped up to see her play because she really gives it all. Yes. And uh, Podoroska, I think, can, can definitely be a factor. Really strong and assertive player that I think – now uh, getting over this hump and having the confidence in her game and having the finances under control and believing in herself more could be a factor. I'd be, I'm very curious to see what we see from Podoroska and Trevisan. Trevisan ranked 84 year-end now th- at the end of the season, which is pretty wild. That's best for her. Yeah, it's, they came in from out of nowhere, so very interesting. Newcomers on the ATP side as well, and these names really didn't do as, as much damage on, at the tour level, but there are a lot of names that the, the tour gives us, starting with Carlos Alcaraz of Spain, Sebastian Corda of the United States, Lorenzo Musetti of Italy, Yuri Rodinov, uh, Rodionov of Austria, Emil Rusevuri of Finland, and Tiago Sabothwild. So they give us six players to pick from. Um, definitely a few names worth mentioning in this, starting with Carlos, Carlos Alcaraz, right, Richard? Well, Alcaraz, at his age, 17, to put together the run he had at the challenger level, where it was just, you look back, I was looking back through his ATP page, um, you know, as we were talking earlier, and just, boy, win after win after win, and he played so many matches, and also that he's coached by, you know, Juan Carlos Ferrer, one of the yeah, great to fly. Play- players from the Spanish Armada that it's almost like any and Rafa is his idol so it's almost like you see the the Spanish Armada sort of uh the residual effects of it and that how he's really tried to emulate that sort of dictate with the forehand and really build himself physically and so he's an exciting and he said what he did in Rome was just fantastic I mean the one-hander we might be talking about him as one of the future great great one-hand one-handed backhands in the game, just the way he played, the flash. So exciting. We saw him, you know, at the Australian Open in the juniors a few years back when he made that run, and that was a great mm-hmm. match he played there. So to see it come to fruition at such a young age also in Rome was really thrilling. And I think with him, Sinner, Berrettini, you know, uh, Italy's got a great future. Exactly. He'll benefit from having Sinner and, and a lot of other young talents in Italy, a really good environment for the young guys to breed players that are going to get better. And I think that will help him uh, maybe more than it would help another player, say like Sebastian Corda, who's obviously talented and obviously going to make progress. But, you know, it always helps to have the those uh, country mates with you. What about Corda? Pretty, pretty um Pretty cool that he was able to do what he did at Roland Carroll's, pick up his first win at a slam over Andreas Seppi, who a very experienced, savvy player, and then reaching the round of 16, getting to face Rafael Nadal. Um, solid effort from him. Yeah, really good effort, and it shows that he has the weapons. You know, it's a matter of just getting more match experience and trying to play the best players at the biggest stage, but it shows that he does have legitimate weapons and also shows that after what happened with Rafa, you know, it shows he's still got a, a long way to go too, but he's really got foundational skills, I think, and that's that's exciting. Yeah, the the, the ATP says that 
the newcomer of the year will be the player who broke into the top 100 or top 150 for the first time in 2020 and made the biggest impact on the ATP on the ATP tour this season. So who in your opinion would it be out of these six names? Wow, I'm going to have to go uh Yeah. It's not easy. Yeah, that's a tough one because, uh, you know, Hakari, he's so young, too, and he did it more at the Challenger, but he's he's someone that's... Uh, Alcaraz just one and one at tour level. Yeah, it's hard to go with him because at tour level, he didn't... Even though if you look at his wins, yeah, I, I guess you can't go with it. Uh, I'll give you some more hints. Um, Sabath Wild, not inside the top 100, but did win his first title. Which is one of one of um, I think a handful of guys that won their maiden titles this year. And Musetti defeated Stan the Man Varinka and Kei Nishikori in back to back matches, dropping just thirteen games at Rome. And then he made the semis at Sardinia. And he's ranked one twenty eight now as the season closes. Yeah, if you said he was in the top hundred, I'd go with him because, it, like you just said, I mean, if you saw those matches, he deconstructed two of the best backhands in the game. It's down one-hander to one-hander, and then Nishikori, one of the best two-handers. I mean, he was very impressive, those two tournaments, and then mentally he kind of wore down yeah, at the end of the too. follow-up. But I would, I would probably go with him, although he's not in the top hundred. He just showed. And he's another guy when he just little subtle things like his core positioning, moving a little bit, knowing when to move a little bit up more forward in the court so you're not vulnerable to the drop shot. As much. You could just see he's got so much upside. And he's so much fun to watch because he's not afraid to go for the big strike yep. either. I guess I would go with him. It's just I haven't seen enough of the other guys to say, but you said he, but then again, you're basing it on two tournaments, basically. But still, yeah. he's on the verge of the top hundred at that age. is is uh, is is really impressive. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go one further and base it on one tournament and give it to Sabath Wild because he won the title yeah. in Santiago. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. you know, and and he and he came on this podcast too, which I which I appreciated. But yeah, yeah, it's yeah. tough to it's honestly it's <laughs> tough to pick. He really faded in the second half of the season after coronavirus, so it's hard to see what. Um, uh, it's been a tough year for a lot of players, but let's let's just say all these guys really put in put in some hard yards and, and made some progress. And I think the main thing you can say of these, all these names is that I'm very excited to see what they can do next year because, like Alcaraz, as we said, barely has any experience at tour level. It's going to be great to see this guy play at the slams. It's going to be great to see Musetti try to follow through and, and play some more big-time tennis and then and Corda as well, so that's pretty cool. But we're going to move on. we got a couple of our own categories, and I wanted to ask you who would you say are you know, maybe one or two names from the ATP and WTA that were the biggest inspirations in 2020 because that's something we badly need from our tennis players this year is inspiration. So who gave it to you, Richard? Yeah, I had a, that's a really good category. I had a few that I was thinking. I was going to say three lefties that inspired me were, uh, were Rafa, Patrick Kvitova and Feliciano Lopez because he extended the record, the Grand Slam, consecutive Grand Slam, I believe it's 74 now in a row at age 39, still able to play out there and also his work, you know, behind the scenes with Madrid, you know, obviously it helps you have a billionaire owner, but also that he's just striving to keep that tournament going and I think it's also good to have people like that, like him, like Tommy Haas and Indy Wells, James Blake in Miami that are really sort of invested in the game and the future of the game so I respect him a lot. 
he inspires me. And Petra inspires me because everything she goes through, she just keeps coming back and going for it. And I wish I was like that more in life where you put her in the clutch moment and she just still lets it rip no matter what mm-hmm. happens. And I love that about her, that she's fearless that way. And I think we could all use a little bit of that. And Rafa, he inspires me just because, you know, after all he's done and all he's won and everything that's happened, that he's just still so passionate about it and you see that that passion and that humility uh can can take you a really long way in his case can take you to sort of historic highs that we've never seen before places that the game has never seen but also for for me what what's really fun about watching him is that he makes you know the nobility of effort whatever you do in life wherever you work whatever you're engaged in that there's a nobility to just give it you know give it all give all you have and he does that every single time yeah and it's really hard after all talking about a guy that has a thousand wins not to mention all the doubles not to mention the davis cup pressure olympics two gold medal all that but he just still can dig 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 and and give him more and that's hard to do but it's really inspiring because we all have sort of the emotional ups and downs especially during covid and it's just like hey just answer the bell keep swinging good things can happen you know yeah good stuff so yeah, I like I like this topic as well. <clears throat> I don't have any of those names on there, but they all work for me. You and you painted that picture so nicely. Yeah, Kavitova, gosh, love her. It was fun to see her um, do well at Roland Garros. Um, still think she's got another slam in her. I chose Victoria Azarenka um, because of what she was going through in the off season. How she parted ways with her team. She was coached by Wim Fazette last year and said, I, you know, I can't keep you guys on. I don't know what I'm going to do or if I'm even going to play. And then she comes back with a whole new team and a whole new lease on life and just um, finally returns to the form that we've been dying to see from her. And, then, and, and as I said earlier, it's not about, the, um, not about the tennis, though that was a big part of it. It's really just about her philosophy on life and the, the positivity that she exudes and the, will, the willingness for her to speak on topics and and just to be, you know, an interesting character out there. I really look forward to speaking with her at her press conferences, and and that's why I chose her. And then I chose Andre Rublev from the ATP just because something really genuine and, and Nadal-like about this this kid and how he's just so fired up to keep getting better. And it sounds like a broken record, in fact, when he's asked about it, you know, and he keeps just basically alluding to the fact that he's not there yet. What do you need to improve on, Andre Rublev? Everything. I need to work on this. I need to work better at this. And you think he's just saying this, but he's not. He's actually working on the things he's talking about. And and, uh, he's just a guy that loves tennis so much and that makes no bones about that fact. And, and it's so clear how much he cares about the sport, how much he cares about his victories, much in the same fashion as Nadal does. And it's great to see another kind of like a chip off the old block, albeit he's from a totally different background and a different place. Um, I really enjoy what he does, and I look forward to him you know, continuing his climb. And then Sviontek, I, I thought it was just remarkable that a young kid could be so mature and so prepared for the biggest challenges in the sport and to overcome issues that she clearly had in such short order. Um, and I just think she's a really fun and interesting, diverse personality who there's a lot going on in her head. I always like the interesting players like that, guys like uh, not just Fiontek, but mm, Tsitsipas and people that have a lot to say and that are really creative characters. So that's why I chose Iga. But yeah, there's Thankfully, we've got a lot of good people in our sport and a lot of people that are there to inspire us. 
Yeah, and I like the way you said about Rublev because I think it's really cool when a player of his level is also a fan of the game and unashamed about being a fan because we're all fans, you know, we all like that. So it's great to see that a fan of the game is also one of the best players in the world. Yeah. So I like that. I relate to it. And, uh, yeah, he's cool. He's just a cool guy. You like, And I feel like he's authentic. He's genuine. You mm -hmm. feel like what he's saying is from the heart. Yeah, I, hey, Andy Murray got me pretty good at the U.S. Open coming back from two sets down. I didn't expect that. It wasn't the best year for Muzz, but that moment was great. And it's anything he does on a tennis court right now and, and for the rest of his career will be an inspiration to me. For sure. For sure. Well said. Um, and like all years, and maybe in 2020 more than any other year in the history of the world, there were disappointments we're going to talk about the biggest disappointments from a tennis perspective now. And I'll be honest with you. I had trouble. I really wasn't disappointed in a whole lot of players, but I did come up with some picks. Were you able to come up with anything, Richard? I felt really guilty about this category. Because <laughs> I feel like everyone deserves a mulligan because it's such a crazy COVID year and your life is turned upside down. And you don't know what people are dealing with physically, emotionally, relationships, everything kind of is up in the air when something like this happens so i felt like kind of i'm kind of piling on where it's not really fair this was an extreme season but yeah i had a few i would say on the women's side um sloan stevens disappointed me a player of that caliber of that achievement i think she won four or five matches. four know, and eleven just, yeah i mean someone of that level, i mean to me i mean it's inexcusable. Someone, I mean, she's in a she's a Grand Slam champion. Someone who's been in major finals, who has great record, of just not sort of be there. And especially with Kamal Murray, they have such a good connection. They've been so successful together. You know, and I realize it's just a lot of stuff you don't know really what's going on off the court. A lot of times in a year like this, but I was disappointed. And I would say, to a lesser extent, it's it, this sounds really micro extreme critical but i would say carolina pliskova and how can you say that about someone who came out of the gate so strong winning brisbane you know beating osaka looking like she was going to make a run in australia but i and she did have a good roam to be fair to her and she got injured but i just felt like she didn't i didn't see progression like i didn't go into majors thinking wow pliskova's really going to be there now and be in the final and i also felt like with uh renee stubbs and conchita that she was kind of building towards something toward the idea of varying the serve of playing more first strike forehands and i just felt like i didn't see a vision of where you want your game to be and it, i know it's critical to say that about a top 10 player and she had a great roam and she started the year great but i just didn't see the progress in someone of that level who's a you know a grand slam contender and someone you want to see sort of have that fire to break through and and win a major yeah good point i think i think there's a little something missing that if she really wants to get where we we think we know she can get to if grand slam champions maybe back to number one she needs a little bit of a better attitude about things, a little bit of a better vision of where she wants to go with things. Um, she gets a little negative quickly, it seems, in situations. Yes, she was injured. Yeah, and you would expect some of her experience and her achievement, what she's done in big matches, too. She's beat champions, you know, like, you know, just to be a little bit more... I don't know. I just felt like she's mentally fighting herself a lot. Yeah, I think me. I think she she um, was doing well in Rome and then had an injury and then kind of rode yeah, that. Yeah, that, yeah, the, that hurt her for sure. The negativity sort of bleeds into her game, though, where it, it's not just the injury anymore. It kind of bled into her mindset. I felt um, um yeah, I don't know if she's getting a hundred percent as much of her game out of her game as um, 
as she can, and I'd like to see her do that. Um, she's pretty. She's a funny character for sure. I, I, I'm pulling for her. Um, I agree with you well, on yeah, Sloan Stevens. Flip the script next year too, especially because she tends to play really well down under too. So yeah, you know we could see her totally. And plus, she has a new coach, Sasha. So that could, could that's going to be an interesting one for sure. Yeah, and you never know because look at look at Garbina Muguruza. Look, just getting back with Conchita. Look how that propelled her back to sort of getting her group back. So you know things could change. Mm-hmm. Um. I totally agree with you on Sloane Stevens. I just feel like, you know, it takes her a while to blossom and you never know when it's going to happen. But 4-11 and 11 is just, come on, kid. Just uh, start start winning some more matches. It would be nice. I know she's going to at some point. I just hope that we don't have to wait too long for it because she's such a talent and, like, good on all surfaces and just not getting enough out of her game right now. So um, that would be a nice thing to see that turn around a little bit. Amanda Anisimova maybe is a little bit, I don't know. I can't pick. I can't really rip on her at all. I just she's she's so young and has been through so much. So yeah, when, can I take that back? Dad, forget yeah, I even her mentioned her name. Yeah. Her. I mean, yeah. Forget I even mentioned her name. I didn't really hear much from Angelique Kerber this year. Maybe she could be one. I mean, Marquetta Vondrosova didn't really follow through on some of her success. I, there's there are a few names, but for me, I think the biggest name. In terms of disappointment, would be Alexander Zverev, and that would be off-court disappointment. Just the way he's handled the situation. Not saying that that it's true or not about these domestic abuse allegations, but just the the speech that he made in Paris about the, how he's still smiling uh, was just a little bit tone deaf. And I think that was really the, probably for me the most disappointing thing that I saw this season was, um, you know, I hope that he and and the other parties involved get through this this thing is in the best way possible and that there's not any more fallout than there already is, uh, that it gets resolved in some kind of proper manner. But I just feel like the way he handled it disappointed me a bit. And I guess you could say on the court, he sort of the way he handled his two set lead in the U S open final was also sort of disappointing, you know, sort of plagued by nerves and I unable to get over the hump. But I mean, he, if you look at it, he really did have a, a, a great season tennis wise in a lot of ways. So it's not, it's more of an off-court thing that I guess I would call my disappointment pick. But, but like like we've been saying, it's hard to really pick on anybody for being disappointment in 2020, the year of the coronavirus. Yeah, it is, and I, I you know I agree with you 100 percent on Zverev, and it's surprising because he seems like outwardly such a professional guy from a professional tennis family. But I thought that was tone deaf is spot on. I mean. You know, dude, it's not just about you. It's like someone who's really, really felt that that she was abused and was very explicit about it. And I know there's two completely different stories, versions of the stories, but you got to respect where she's coming from, what she's saying. To say that publicly, I just felt, man, it doesn't it doesn't do a whole hell of a lot for your image, you know. When you, it's just almost like, oh, I'm smiling too. It's like, dude, it's just not about you only. You know, you have to sort of have a bigger perspective but yeah i mean i guess you got to give him credit also bouncing back from tennis wise if you're talking about that that could that could have been a devastating loss but to come back as he did and get it together he's an interesting you know player to watch because he can be so dominant yet he can be so seemingly uh volatile and just implosive with this serve where you just still don't i'm not a hundred percent convinced that's locked in but you know the good news for him is now they're going to have apparently an extended off season and he's going to be able to work with Ferrer. i would presume if they're able to get somewhere and work together and that should stabilize but yeah the off-court stuff is troubling i gotta be honest it is troubling yeah and i guess 
If I had to say one more thing was disappointing, it would be the post-coronavirus tennis of Gael Monfils, who started the season on fire and I really thought was going to potentially reach high inside the top 10. Like we're talking like, you know, top five, maybe. Who knows what he could have done. You know, I was excited for him to be at Roland Garros, but then I completely understand what happened to him and why a player of his ilk was really just unable to function in these new these new post-pandemic situations. It just He relies on the crowd, the energy, the excitement, the joy of playing. So I completely understand it. I was, it was just more personal disappointment that at his age, with him playing at peak Monfils tennis, I just wish that could have continued and maybe even gone, you know, taking it higher than he'd ever taken it before because he was just looking so good. Yeah, he really was. In a way, I respect it because there's something genuine about a guy just saying, like, he's like the rock star that can't perform without the audience, yeah. you know? It's like the Allen Iverson, like, practice, you know? It's, um, you know, it's like he needs, like you said, he needs the crowd to really tap into that electricity, that energy, and he's just like, I'm not feeling it, man. Yeah. So there's something, I guess, honest about that where I'm just not feeling I could go out there. You'd rather see someone who really wants to take that opportunity and run with it, but like you said, at his age and given his history of injuries, it's you do want to sort of seize every single moment and contrast that with what we were talking a few minutes ago about Lopez, 74 straight, slams at 39, mm-hmm. like just taking every opportunity, like I would just want to keep playing, I can't get enough, or a team, all he did throughout the Exos, you just like to see the hunger there. You know, in my feet's case, it's tough to say because there's been so much chronic injury, especially with the knees and the such a strong mind-body connection. You just wonder if that when you get banged up like that, it just sort of it sort of dulls the the edge of the knife competitively. Yeah, I um, I hope he comes back and has some good tennis left in him. And I guess I could say I'm disappointed that we never got a an official statement from Sam Querrey when he returned to the United States, which I assume that he has. <laughs> I yeah, know. I don't know to be honest <laughs> where he is, but uh, he yeah, hasn't called nice us. Sam, if you're out there, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that was a, that was a really strange sort of thing. I don't know. I don't know where he is. Yeah. Don't know. Well, I think we hope, we hope to see him in 2021. Yeah. You know, we call us, Sam. See him. Call us. Get in touch. <laughs> we want to know where you are. And people have just basically forgotten about that story. Like he's he's probably home. He's probably accessible. We could probably call him right now. We could probably get him in this podcast. Well, people forgot about the samurais. What happened to the samurais? You know, it's like the netheads. Oh, right. like they, <laughs> Let me go. Like, I want to see the Samurais reform for 2021. Let's get that, that, get that happening. That would be a sign that things are truly better if the Samurais come <laughs> yeah, Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, you know, we should probably I just... I would say the other disappointing thing for me is, you know, and this was due to circumstances more than anything else, is that we didn't see the big three at the same time at all the majors because of, you know, Roger, obviously, the surgery, and yeah. then Rafa opting out of New York, so we never saw them all firing at the same time with the exception of the beginning of the year. And, you know, every t- every slam is precious when they're around because you just don't know how many more they'll be together. So that was a little bit of a disappointment, but obviously out of anybody's control. We didn't even have a Wimbledon this year, man. Yeah, yeah that was a big time bomber, yeah. And the Adrian Tour, I mean, that's we've gone over that countless yeah. times. That was, you know, yeah, it's been that wasn't year. good. But you're right, Richard. Let's give every single player a mulligan and, and look forward to better times next year. Yeah, the, the other guy I was going to mention that I got off track was uh, Hatchinoff. I thought he was going to do a little bit better, and he took a step back for me from the top 10. I think he's 
23 he's, or 24 yeah, now. Yeah, he's so struggling. he went back, and I just felt with those three guys, Medvedev, Rublev, Hatchinoff, that those three, you know, as you were talking about earlier, could really propel and push each other. So I, I thought, uh, you know, he had some tournaments, some runs, but he also had a bunch of first and second round exits. So I thought he took a step back in terms of results. I have him on my list for sure as well. But I just I got tired of banging on people. Um, but yeah, you know, he, he it's I think a lot of what we what we're disappointed in is is the relativity to, to how well the other two Russians performed. And yeah, that's that, true. It's a high bar. Yeah, he finishes at number twenty in the world, and he went twenty and fifteen on the season. Yeah, it's it's not it wasn't his best year. Um, I I think um, it'd be nice if he could join the, the Russian party next year. I would love to see all three of those guys inside the top ten. Oh yeah, if you get all three of those guys firing, he's shown us that you know he's a Masters champion. He's shown us he can do it. The only thing with him is sometimes he just looked too quick to get cranky. Where it's like, dude, you're a really good player. Just settle in. You know, take it take it in a moment where he was just too quick to bounce the racket, stuff like that. Where you know you're too good for that. You know. I think I thought he right. got frustrated because his, his fuse seemed a little bit short, but you know it was it was weird circumstances the whole year. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're completely right about that. It was nice to see him back in the second week at Roland Garros, the tournament he's done right. well at historically. Um, he beat he beat Christian Garin in the third round, then faced Djokovic. I actually thought he might have a make a better match out of that. He lost to Djokovic uh, six four six three six three. A lot of you know quarterfinals was basically the best you were going to see from him this season. It just um, it just didn't really click. Um, I see like three or four quarterfinals as I as I browse through. He made uh, he was pretty good at the ATP Cup. Started out with four wins. Right, right. He lost. Actually, you probably remember this match because you have a good memory for stuff like this. Uh, he lost to Kyrgios in the third round at the Aussie right, Open. That was a phenom- yeah, that was a phenomenal match. That, yep. that was something that um, he would have he would have faced uh, Nadal next. It kind of might have been like the key to his season there if he got through a couple of things because you know it wasn't much after that quarterfinal loss to Djokovic in Dubai. I mean, to be expected, it wasn't close though. Um, then he comes back to Cincinnati, loses to Batista Agu, then Demonor in the third round in five sets at the U.S. Open. So you know, close but no cigar. But yeah, better things from him next year. I think. I think he's a pretty cool character too. He's he's got a he's a he's got an interesting sarcastic sense of humor, which I enjoy. But you're right. I think I noticed him being negative on the court quite a bit this year. Yeah, well, he had that whole thing indoors about the call, and then he went back on social media. But you're right; he's a really smart guy, so I, I think we'll see him. Uh, we'll see him bounce back, and he's great in interviews too. He's really honest. Yeah, I just his his game is. I don't know if his game's like um, as nuanced as you know a guy like obviously a guy like Medvedev. Um, um, so I'd like to see him actually. I think his challenge would be like to get to the net a little more, just behind those booming ground strokes. I, I ask the same thing from a lot of players that hit big but kind of camp out at the baseline a little too much. He gets up there a bit, but that might be the key to him unlocking his potential. Yeah, exactly. You like to see a little more variation or understand how to finish the point quicker because just although he's a good mover, he's not nearly as good as guys like Djokovic, Rafa, stuff like that. So you can't get dragged into longer rallies against those guys because your odds diminish dramatically. Mm-hmm. Okay, final point. We're going to wrap it up, Richard. Um, anything Anything else you want to add? 
As we... Well, I would say, you know, we're trying to always look for some good news also is that uh, we were talking earlier, the USDA released that, P- that press release about racket sales and ball sales going up. And that, you know, we always think about tennis as sort of the trickle down from the top when we have the Williams sisters or McEnroe Borg or Martina Chrissy, that that's what really seeds uh, – you know, sort of the game, the popularity and the growth of the game. But maybe now because of COVID, maybe we'll see it from the ground up. And I notice where I live in New York, when I go to the public courts, they're definitely, definitely much more crowded. Now, part of that is because you can't play basketball around here. They took down the rims, the hoops. Mm-hmm. They don't let you play volleyball anymore. So the the options are diminished. But I think that maybe that's one positive that can come out we see at least where i live a lot more people playing the game the courts are definitely more crowded they just redid the courts near where the public courts near where i live so maybe maybe if something's good to come out of this is we'll see more people playing tennis and then more interest in the game and that economic strength of the industry just to get get that going that can help fuel other parts of it like more tournaments for you know recreational and pro players too so i think that's a good thing maybe we can look forward and what's been a really bleak year yeah yeah i guess uh, the good news is that it probably won't be as bad next year as it was this year it might be a difficult start though so we just have to cross our fingers and um hopefully resume some of these wonderful storylines that we've got across the board. The big three still very much in the mix. We Hopefully we'll see Federer and Serena pushing next year. A lot of great things are on tap for 2021. And then, of course, the new guys that we're talking about today are rising and pushing. There's, the, you know, the narratives are just set up to be to, for a couple of beautiful seasons here. Um, and uh, The future is bright for this sport. I think you're right about it that. It really is, especially because you're excited to see someone like Bianca Andreescu come back, you know, oh to see God. Coco Huge. take the next step forward, and then to try to establish Coco. some rivalries between, like, an Osaka and an Andreescu, or you put Benchich in there, or some of these young players really hungry, wanting to put stuff together on the men's side. You know, you get Medvedev, Sitsipas, Zverev, team, all these guys really going at it. I think that's going to be the really, really fun part of the sport in the next few years to just see these rivalries develop and see it play out. And, you know, the tricky thing is going to be what happens going forward with vaccination, how long that's going to take, and trying to get back. What is the new normal? I mean, are we ever going to see packed crowds at, at slams in the next year or two? I don't know. It's mm-hmm. too soon to say, but... You know how how what what impact will that have reshaping the calendar going forward? That's going to be interesting to follow too. Yeah, and but I mean the good thing is that the majors, everything they're saying publicly is that they're all in on playing in 2021 with or without crowds. Hopefully, it's going to be at least limited crowds. That's the aim. But you know you got to wait and see. But that's a that in itself is a positive step considering that we didn't have Wimbledon this year. Yeah, and full credit to. The people out there, the the organizers, tournaments, tours that were willing to take the take the risk and put events on you. Know, you look at the Volvo Car Open; they put on an event in in um, June that sort of got the ball rolling. There were a lot of like you know there were a lot of these small events in in the summer when we were really in big trouble, and then of course the U.S. Open stepped in and was able to get that slam done. And then Roland Garros did the same. I mean, it took a lot of courage, and there was a lot of critics out there. And um, I think it was very important for 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 tennis to show that courage and to put that footprint out there. And I think a lot of people took notice. And I think in the years to come, when we look back on it, we'll we'll be more and more thankful for the effort they put forth. There wasn't a lot of money to be made. They did it to move the sport forward. And I think, um, you know, they got it done. Yeah, they really did. And I think you can look at 2020 as the 
year the survive the survivor, the year that the you know the players had to survive, the sport had to try to survive. But for me, it's the year of the resourceful champions. You know, you see people like Kennan, you know, rising through. You see Rafa coming back. It's the year of players who were resilient, and that's something that I think players who were able to really rise to this rise to a standard and in, in really under duress and really extreme and unusual times and that's something we can all kind of you know learn from is yeah. that you just got to make mess with what you got at that time and i got to give the i got to give the tournament organizers a lot of credit because i was really skeptical about the open just being in new york through the whole time with the spikes and the just seeing the local hospitals the how overrun they were i was really really skeptical about it and they didn't they did a tremendous job you got to give it to them yeah perfect way to close it richard i really appreciate your time on this one today um Sorry if I babbled a little too much, but um, I think, you know, we, we did our job. We gave out the awards, and, and um, the season is now, thanks to us, officially concluded. Yeah, now the drinking <laughs> starts, right? <laughs> thanks, no, I think we got to give one uh, more award to the audience, that they li- actually listen to all the stuff we do and that people still come back and that we still have, you know, we're gracious, that gratitude that we can still do this Absolutely. after half the season was gone and we're like wow what are we gonna write what are we gonna cut you know that we're able to still go on is it that people we appreciate the audience i guess is what we, i'm trying to say with anybody who clicked and listened to this podcast or checks us out on tennis now we 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 have heartfelt appreciation for you drop right. us an email we owe you an adult beverage of your choice we do or you know or whatever else you might need we definitely appreciate <laughs> it all right, Richard. So thanks so much. Let's uh, let's talk again soon. And appreciate hey, all your insights today. Right now, you know, we almost <laughs> we talk so long. It's almost the new season. Yep, we're ready to preview the season. I'll see you next week. Yeah, okay. All right, thanks, Richard. This okay, edition of the Lucky Let Court Podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Richard Pagliaro for joining me as always, and special thanks to you guys for hanging with us all year and sharing the tennis love. Don't forget, you can find us on social media, facebook.com slash tennis now, on Twitter, at tennis underscore now. We'd love it if you hit up the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. If it's Apple Podcasts, just type in Lucky Letcord Podcast. Voila. You can rate, review, and subscribe, and it would mean a lot to us if you did. Otherwise, that's going to be it for this week's show. We'll be back soon to talk about a little bit about the schedule for 2021 when we find out a little more. So stay tuned for that episode. It'll probably be sometime later in the week. Until then, take care, be safe, be sane. Talk to you soon.